0: O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit (laughs) FullyLoadedChew.com What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host Dan Johnson, and we have a good old-fashioned BS session today. I'm joined by Tony Peterson. Now, everybody knows Tony as the, um, you know, the guy who's out on public land trying to get it done, uh, trying to chase down whitetails. You know, hunting strategy. But, you know, for me, I didn't know this. Uh, A lot of guys who read magazines back in the day did, but I didn't know this, that he was a gear editor or an equipment editor for a magazine for about 10 years where he would all, all he would do is write and talk about hunting gear and equipment. So I felt it was necessary to bring him on. And, man, we talk a little bit about everything. Uh, It's just a good old-fashioned BS session. We talk about the impact of marketing campaigns and and how that affects people. We talk about whether or not America... um products are made in America and the impact that that has on people's purchasing decision we talk about how he chooses some of his equipment uh, and uh, we talk about you know we use it like bow manufacturers as examples and things like that so it's a really good episode I'm sure you guys will enjoy it Uh, so sit back relax enjoy I'm gonna do a quick commercial break right now Um, if you haven't been to the average conservationist com to check out their, uh, their lineup of hats, t-shirts, uh, what else? Hats, t-shirts, hoodies. They have a full lineup of really awesome, uh, I guess it's a lifestyle brand, uh, apparel. Uh, I, my favorite hoodie is the camo, the, the camo hoodie. My favorite hat is, I think it's called the general hat. And uh, what else? I like, it's called the Euro T where it's like an elk, a mule deer, and a whitetail euro mount on the front of it. Really cool. And it's, it's those t-shirts that fit good around the chest and the arms, um, but kind of a little straighter cut for the gentleman like myself with love handles. So uh, go at to theaverageconservationist.com, check it out. And at checkout, enter the discount code NFC10, NFC10. And you'll get 10% off of your purchase. Uh, next is Hunt Stand. If you are the kind of person who has just been popping in, into the woods and hasn't yet to pick up any type of, um, I guess, a hunting app, you need to try Hunt Stand. And the best thing about Hunt Stand is it's free to download, you can mess around with it, but then when you wanna upgrade and start unlocking all of the functionality, it's only like 30 bucks a year for an entire year so compared to other hunting apps that are out there it's very affordable and it has some of the most robust features compared to any other hunting app on the market I mean you name you name it it's got it right updated satellite imagery it has landowner information it has property boundaries public land boundaries um, access it has weather you can um, document trail camera pictures you can leave Um, Pins behind to to basically journal entry your time spent in the woods. And the more information and data that you gather, uh, the more likelihood you will have of putting yourself in the right position for whatever game you're trying to uh, chase down. So HuntStand.com for more information. Enter the discount code SN20 for 20% off. And lastly, uh, I'm really going to try to get the owners of novex on the podcast here in the next couple um, months hopefully to talk about the transition away from lone wolf Um, it's not a rebrand it is a slightly different product Uh, for the most part it it, they function the same but these tree stands are made in america and um, so we're kind of lone wolf is going away and now it's novex um, but more information is going to be coming on that, so, and I think I'll have a discount code for you coming up pretty soon, too, so uh, stay tuned for that. But we're done with the commercials, so let's get into today's Hunting Gear BS session with Tony Peterson. Three, two, one. All right, on the Hunting Gear podcast today, Mr. Tony Peterson. Tony, how we doing, man? I'm good, buddy. Uh, how's the uh, COVID recovery going? COVID? recovery is going so I feel good I have a, like uh, a slight cough I have like a, a, a bit of a runny nose but I feel good the only thing that really sucks is I can still smell I can still taste but peanut butter tastes like glue meat tastes like this putrid uh, ammonia and like pickles tastes like almost vomit and I, I've just not been eating lately it's cra- it is it's crazy how how I mean just imagine your favorite food like bacon smelling like shit that's what uh, I got going on right now
1: that's crazy yeah so but you might be getting uh, you know beach body ready anyway <laughs>
0: exactly just not in, or anorexia I guess there you go that's probably a better term uh, just straight
1: not eating yeah the unhealthy way of getting a beach body. Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're making a sacrifice. You're going to look amazing though on spring break. Exactly. Exactly. So, (laughs) so
0: on this episode of the hunting gear podcast, I'd like to talk about your experience being the, um, the equipment editor at bow hunting magazine. Uh, so why don't you talk to us a little bit about what that all entailed, what your, what your job was there and, and like, what you wrote about, how you compared products, that kind of stuff.
1: Oh man, we got ten years to bowl down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it well, when I got the job, so this was at Bowhunter Magazine, Bowhunter so, Magazine, yeah, yeah. So the same company owns Peterson's Bowhunting and Bowhunter, and people mix them up all the time. But yeah. this was my role as equipment editor. You know, I wrote a column on some category of gear in the in the bowhunting space. You know, every every issue for 10 years and did a lot of gear testing, a lot of shooting different bows, setting up different bows. And it was, it was an eye-opener, man. I mean, it, it, in a lot of different ways. Just to get your hands on that quantity of gear and then, you know, not only set it up and shoot it in the yard or whatever, but get to take it out and hunt with it. Yeah. Uh, it really kind of... I feel really fortunate because it really kind of shapes how I think about gear now or yeah. it shaped how I gear, I think about gear now.
0: Yeah. So it's that kind of a foundation of your thoughts and, and how you choose your own equipment.
1: A- absolutely. And it, you know, it was, it was an eye opener for me on two fronts, right? Like I, I had been a magazine editor for a couple of years when I got this gig. So I knew, I knew some of the somehow the sausage was made as far as you know gear write-ups and you know the outdoor television shows why they were pushing what gear you know st- stuff that's really not a secret now yeah uh, so you know it, it it it's part that right like you're right. part playing the game like your job is to sell hunting gear and so that's why you never see like a really negative
0: yeah, right
1: absolutely but you see so I I kind of struggle with that I'm like okay. If somebody sends something to me and it's a piece of shit, but I can't say that, how do I differentiate that from something that I really like? Yeah. And so I don't I don't know how other people do this, but I, I kind of adopted this style where if it was something that I didn't really like or I didn't get my hands on, I would just write, this is what this thing is. Yes. This is what it's supposed to do yeah. and kind of parrot that marketing speak, but not nothing personal in there, you yeah. know, like... I took this out and I loved it. And then if there was something I used that I was like, man, this is a, this is quality product. Like this is going to benefit people. Then I would try to put some kind of personal, you know, anecdotal spin on it to just give it a little bit, just to like kind of diverge it from the stuff that I didn't like, or I didn't get to try. And you just kind of, it's like a sort of a survival method And it. You know how this is like. The the pressure to throw your name behind it, you know, and then, you know, my name didn't mean anything, but it was tied to Bowhunter, which meant something. So, you know, to throw some weight behind anything, there's constant pressure yeah. to do that. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you see this when you start a podcast and you've got eight listeners, there are companies out there that are like, hey, we'll send you some free stuff if you, you know, talk about it. Or can we get our VP of marketing on? And you're yeah. like, "It's a, it's never ending. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I, and I know
0: since the birth of the, the outdoor podcast and um, you know the uh, YouTube, there's been a lot more uh, honest, I, I feel, honest opinions about products compared to in the print world for all those years, where I would read an article about a product, or like uh, inside Archery is a perfect example when they write yep. their reviews or they compare there's never a single negative comment whether that bow has more or less hand shock than others whether the, you know anything like that where where there is there's no ne- there's nothing negative about any product do you think that hurts the the user uh when they consume that content the end user of that content
1: um i don't know I mean, I think, I think we're pretty well aware of what's going on there. Yeah. I, th- I think it, it sort of does hurt us as a whole, like as an industry as a whole, when yeah. people are very skeptical, is it, you know, it's the same thing. Like today, nobody believes anything on the news. Cause we all know what it's just a propaganda machine on both sides. Like, yeah, it's very hard to trust most of those sources now. So we just accept them for what they are. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the opportunity for podcasters and YouTubers and people who weren't necessarily saddled to these advertising contracts—that uh, I think that's a great thing. I also know that there's the same game is played there. Yeah. And so you, you know, it's like you got to filter through this stuff. And you know, for a while in the print world, um, you had some—you had an opportunity to say no to some of this stuff. Like you had an opportunity to be like, you know, listen. This thing, it broke down right away on me. I can't I can't write about this. Yeah. But the change came through quick. And yeah. the, cha- the change really took hold when the housing market crashed and, you know, the economy took a dump. And, you know, then you had everybody fighting for a smaller piece of the pie. And I, I mean, every person who had a hunting show, every person who was writing for a magazine, you know, it, it was a rough time. And so you saw a real transition there to this kind of like a sellout coverage or this this you know like whorish writing where you're like we we and and this is a symptom today man like people people bitch about like social media influencers i'm like the stage for this was set yeah years and years ago and what happened was you know the the market crashes everybody's like okay well we gotta we gotta find a way to get some some money out of these people so you give more of your integrity away which is what the advertisers want these manufacturers well when the, when the economy comes back and things are humming along pretty good, you've already set the precedent that that's base level, what you'll do. Yeah. And so they know that, and there's this, this constant kind of leveraging of that. And so this is something I've been talking about a little bit more because people don't really seem to understand this. They, they want to go after somebody like Cameron Haynes, who's, who's the face, right? Like he's, right. he's the guy who's, you know, shooting the hoits and doing whatever. And he's the lightning rod, but you don't know what the deliverables are in his contract. And I guarantee you what they were 10 years ago versus now they're asking 50 times as much from him. Yeah. And that, that there's like a safe zone for manufacturers and marketing companies in between there where they get to demand this stuff or they'll go find somebody else to do it. Cause somebody will do it. Yeah. And, but yeah. you know, if you're Cameron Haynes or whoever, you know, Lee and Tiffany, then, then you kind of take the brunt of it. And I'm not saying like there isn't some culpability there, but this is a muddy thing, yeah, and it's you know it's been going on a lot longer than a lot of people really think. They get, everybody thinks, oh, this is like a new YouTube hunter or social media hunter is like the negative thing. I'm like, man, uh, a, if you if you're out there and you're like that guy's a social media hunter, what that guy is is, or you know, like the new version of a TV hunter, yeah, and the new version of a magazine hunter, like yeah, we we've, we've had this shit ever since like hunting had an audience where people would purchase something for it this stuff's been happening yeah
0: so let's talk a little bit about all the products you know and you can even relate it to what you see today uh the ata show just got over you know um next week i'm going to be bringing somebody on uh the uh let's see here next week i'm going to be bringing somebody on to talk about the you know the the hit the, the hits and misses of the uh, ATA show and then uh, you know it's 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 that season right now everybody starts talking about gear because it's ATA it's shot uh it's a lot of review content coming out what did you see um did you did you notice any trends um and maybe you can give an, a specific category whether whether that's camo or bows or boots or anything like that where man people just they missed they missed the mark or they they hit home runs or you know I'll just kind of let you take it in any direction.
1: Um I think you know this is probably partially a reflection of the where I'm at in life. Yeah. But I th- I think one of the things I see that I've, I find really interesting is we we are in a kind of a uh, a space right now where there's a good audience for high-end quality stuff. Yeah. And so there's, there's always been, you know, different levels, right? Like, I mean, you could have gone out, you know, 15 years ago, you could have paid a thousand dollars for a brand new bow or 400. Like we've always had this, but you're seeing people or manufacturers kind of really recognize that there's like a hardcore segment. And this is, this is primarily bow hunters that you see them targeting, yeah. but there are people out there now who won't scoff at spending 50 or a hundred dollars for really quality broadhead, really yeah. tight tolerances, you know, good materials. And you're seeing you're seeing a lot of companies, you know, you've got the Sitkas and the First Lights of the World chasing the chasing the real valuable, you know, you know, a little bit more wealthy customer, I guess, or at least somebody who's willing to spend some money on it, and that trickles down and you're seeing that market be addressed really well. And I kinda like that because it's we've really created this this kind of movement of hardcore people who just live for this and want to have the best experience possible. Yeah. But, and and I think what's good about that is, you know, like having that option is awesome, right? Like if you, if you've got the money and you want to go buy whatever, I think that's cool, but it feels like it sort of lifts the whole thing up. And so, yeah, you can still go buy a $40 trail camera and it's going to last you a month and die or whatever, but you, you have so many nice like mid-level and upper range options now where if you want a quality experience in the outdoors, you can buy, you can do the whole buy once, cry once type of thing and kind of address like the things that are really important to you, whether that's clothing or it's like a nice bow or you're an arrow broadhead junkie or whatever. I, I love that. We've, we've got a lot of good, good options out there now.
0: Yeah. And, um, are you a, are you a believer that price
1: reflects quality then? Um generally. Yeah. You know, I mean, you so like like let's take like Yeti coolers for an example, right? Yeah. Yeti, I think Yeti stuff's awesome. It's freaking expensive. You know, like y- the Ramblers and Tumblers and stuff are per- like they're not bad, but a, a cooler is yeah. You know, that's like a commitment for a lot of people. But man, it's badass stuff. And so people will say, "Well, yeah, you're buying the name." And I'm like, "Yeah, they, you know, they did a really good job of branding this company. Like they did Unbelievable, but there's still a really quality product behind it, and you see some other companies really try that, and it seems like if the product isn't really up to the to the price and the branding, it'll eventually sort of level off. Yeah, you know, because it's we we got information everywhere. Yeah,
0: let me ask you something a little bit. You you, you mentioned Yeti, and I think that's this is a perfect example of marketing. And I don't know why I am the opposite uh, of what this is. So when I, when, I, when I look at a marketing package from uh, First Light or Sitka or Yeti, I, 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 I see this, it's like really well put together marketing and I see why those brands are so popular, right? They've created this, this hey man, you should join our club type mentality, right? This, this marketing and it's worked. But for me, I look at it and I'm turned off by it. And I, I, I've never been able to wrap my own, my, 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 head around my own thoughts of why that is. But when I see that, I, I see like elitism and I see, um, I don't know, uh, just like the cool kids club, and I've never been into that type of you know clickiness, um, so I get turned off on that. I mean, do you do you see? Have you seen that with other products or or that that kind kind of marketing backfire in the past?
1: Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, you're you're a hundred percent on on that. I mean, it, there there is that component of this stuff. Yeah, and you know, I I'm a, I'm a contrarian man. I don't give a shit about. Yeah like what it looks like yeah I I want performance right I did that that's in my life in a million different ways like I'm I'm obsessed with bird dogs and I don't care what they look like I want to know what's under the hood and I want to know what's in the last six generations of them you know and so the there is a part of that but you got to remember I mean we we do that with everything like it's it's like human nature to want to be a part of the cool club yeah and it's just it like it's so transparent to some of us. Like some people see that and go, they, like I don't, I don't know why you would strive to, you know, connect yourself to that, like yeah. th- that identity. But I mean, think about it this way: this is this is one of the things that always drove me nuts when I when I was at Bowhunter. I would I would set up on average probably like five or six bows a year, you know, from all the the top companies, right? And you know, like. <laughs> To me, some years my favorite bow would be a Bowtech. Some years it would be a Matthews. Some years it would be a Prime. And I just kind of realized, I'm like, these are all really good products. Like if you get a flagship bow from one of the top ten manufacturers out there, it's going to be a great bow. But then I would see people who are like, the only bow worth shooting is Hoyt. And then you're like, okay, well, like, have you shot the other ones? No, I've always shot Hoyt. Yeah. I was like, well, how the hell do you know that? Yeah. Like, like it's so it's so bizarre to me that we do that but it's like we you know it's the ford versus chevy thing we just we can't help ourselves yeah yeah for for me i like to stay as
0: unbiased as humanly possible especially with bows right so this past year i shot a lot of bows before i Made the decision to shoot a Botec this year, and I liked. I I was able to pick what I liked. Do you yep. think there's people out there, and I, I mean, we we both know there are, but maybe talk about the downfalls of picking a
1: product based off of brand loyalty. Well, because you could get one that you could get a product that's not really that great for you. Yeah. I mean. Bows are such a good example of this because the category, you know, there. I don't. I don't believe there's a firm leader. I. Th- I think that there yeah. was. I think Matthews was for a while, but that was a while ago. And I think now. I mean, it. It's part. You know, it's part technology. It's part components. It's part build. It's there. There's like physical, engineering aspects of it that just they they just exist. But there's also that that's like what do you like to shoot and that experience of you know whether you like a hard back wall or, you know a solid back wall or you know deep valley in the draw cycle or you know like how do you like your grips like I'm really picky yeah. about my grips you know like and so I always tell people when they're like you know I've, I've always shot a Matthews and like you know I, I, don't, I don't know about a Bowtech I'm like find a good pro shop that that has one to your specs so if you're 2970 or 2860 or whatever. Go in there and shoot one. Close your eyes, draw that sucker back, and compare it to some other bows. You'll you'll have one where you're like, "This is the one." I mean, it just that's just how it works. And so it's sort of a it's easy to be a fanboy, you know, and just be like, "I'm only a Bowtech guy" or "I'm only a Prime." Yeah. But is that the right choice? I don't know. I mean, it, there's there's a lot of great options out there, and it, we see the same thing. You know, it, it this is uh, the broadhead category is a weird one, right? Like yeah. people get really loyal about broadheads but you can look at like take rage for example like i've killed a ton of stuff with rage and i think some of their their newer heads are freaking sweet like they they perform really well but they've had models come out in years past where i was like uh i'm not this one isn't working for me and you kind of see it disappear you know because i like i'm not the only one who's not who's looking at it kind of suspect you know but if you were like, I'm, this is the only Broadhead I'm ever going to shoot. Like, okay, you don't, in two years, they might put out something that just sucks. Yeah. Like, they, they just might, you know, and, and every Broadhead company is like this. Every arrow company is like this. And so I just think it's, I think it's really good to keep an open mind on this stuff. Yeah. So let's take everything
0: that you do out of this next question, right? You're currently a content provider, or you got an agreement with uh, a meat eater, you've, you've had your past experience as a writer, uh, all that. Let's, let's take, let's take all this out of, out, out of the equation. How do you go about picking your equipment? Uh, and you can be as wide open on this as you want, or even as specific as you want anything from boots and bows to backpacks and camo or anything like that. So how, how, how does Tony Peterson pick the equipment that he takes out into the field with him? Um,
1: through a lot of trial and error, man. Like I, I I'm real picky. You know, there's, there's some stuff you're obligated to wear when, when you do what I do yep. or, you know, you're obligated to shoot or whatever. But you know, there's things like, uh, I don't know, sights, both sites, for example, I, I suffered for, through buck fever so bad for so long that when I settled on a movable single pin site and really devoted some time to that, it's one of those things where I just go, this is the thing that works for me. Yeah. So now I just got to find something that I like that has the right kind of dial. It has the right size of pins, the brightness that, you know, like, so there, you know, the categories nailed down for me a little bit or narrowed down, I should say, but I just know this is the style that works for me. And with bows, you know, i over the years, I'm just like, okay, I don't, care about speed i think i think that phase we went through when pse released their x-force back in 08 or 07 or whenever it was and you know we all jumped on the bandwagon of oh we're gonna get to 350 370 whatever like now i'm like i don't care about that at all i want yeah. a bow that's really like got a really nice draw cycle and yeah. something that just settles in dead in hand you know because i'm like you i'm a primarily a whitetail hunter like i'm, I'm shooting critters 20 yards away like i I, I want, I don't need, you know, a flat trajectory out to a hundred yards. Like that's not, it's, it's not a priority for me. Yeah. And so I, I choose around my style of hunting, you know, like I know I'm going to hunt a lot of all day hunts throughout the entire season. So I'll, I'll choose clothing based around, um, you know, the, the weight to warmth factor. Uh, how much can I carry in, in, in my elk backpack? Cause that's what I use. Like what, what's going to like be. What's going to make it so I have everything I need for all these scenarios, but doesn't take up much space, keeps me warm, keeps me cool, whatever. And so it's really kind of a trial and error stuff. And I I go through things every year where I'm like, man, I really like that or I really didn't. And I'll call it out or I'll add something different. And, you know, some stuff like I'll release, for example, I've been shooting the same hot shot release for like eight years. It is like. Yeah. Barely held together, but it's just it works for me so well, and it's stretched and fit into this way that when I shoot, it's like so comfortable. Yeah, and so some of that stuff you just you kind of end up and, and like believe me, I'm fortunate, man. I've got to file through a lot of stuff, but when you when you do that, you hit on something that works for you. You just keep it, and I I think that the hardest part for a lot of people is yeah, they're going out and buying this stuff, so they're not going to try eight releases, but. You know if you go to the range and your buddies are there they're probably shooting something different yeah you know like if you can get away with it try some of this stuff out any way you can and you know like I the other thing I would say on that you know like with uh, like broadheads for example you can find opinions on broadheads everywhere like find somebody who you trust Who's tried a lot of them, or who you know maybe has gone through like a certain category of them and has really settled on them, and you know has hunted elk with them and hunted moose with them, and find find a trusted source on that stuff, and you know like maybe that'll help you guide your decision. Yeah, I'm a I'm the guy who
0: if it works for me, I keep it and I keep using it and I keep using it, Um, and I don't really tinker that much. Um, except maybe with bows, right? When I find when I find my my arrow broadhead setup that I like, I I keep it. When I find my sight that I like, I keep it. When I find the rest that I like, I keep it. And then it takes I don't know it takes something really convincing or a really good recommendation for me to give another product a try. Where do you lie in that? Are you are you the guy who says You know, it's working for me. I'm going to keep it. Or are you a tinkerer?
1: Um, I'm well, I spent years having to be a tinkerer. You know, like I spent a decade having to just change stuff up. And I mean, I I had years where I would shoot, you know, five or six, seven big game animals with four or five, six different bows. And so I was always and because I'm switching bows. You know, there's a different rest on this one and there's a different sight on this one different peep sites. I mean, so I went through a lot of that and I'm kind of with this new gig with meat eater. I'm kind of like, it's like a guilty pleasure thing for me to be able to find something and stick with it for a while. Yeah. Cause I don't have that pressure to constantly switch and try stuff out. And so I, but I, I kind of naturally do that. So I'm like, I'm not where I used to be, but I still mess around with stuff. And it's because, you know, like things change, man. I, I, You know, you might you might be the guy who goes out and mule deer hunts, you know, once a year for ten days, and so you you're you're setting your bow up to be a whitetail shooter, but also you know good enough for a mule deer hunt. So you might have like a seven pin sight or something, and you might hit a point in your life where you're like, I'm just kind of over the mule deer thing. It's too hard to get a tag or whatever. And if you're, you know, if you're sitting in the tree stand all year long with you know maybe lighter weight arrows because you want a flatter trajectory, and you got a seven pin sight on there. Like it might not be the best thing for you now. You know, like you might have a you might have a better chance of making really good shots and you know, with and and having better uh results from those shots if you bump up your arrow weight a little bit and you declutter your sight window. And so you always kinda gotta be aware of that. And same thing with you know, your eyesight might be going bad or the thing that, you know, that I talked about earlier with the single pin sight that I've talked about so much. It you know, this, this buck fever thing it's kind of like, I talk a lot about quitting drinking partially because people reach out to me all the time. Like, it's crazy how many people are like, so what did you, why did you quit? Like, I'm thinking about quitting or I think I need to quit. And it's like consistent. The same thing happens with buck fever. When you're, when you're in my position, you're like, yeah, I used to get buck fever so bad. I would miss deer all the time. And it ruined me for years. People like they approach you kind of like the alcoholism thing and they're like, you know, I kind of think I might have something similar to what you have. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's crazy. But so a part of it is just being like brutally honest with yourself. Like, are you happy with your performance? Yeah. Like, you know, it's the same thing with like when you train bird dogs, right? Like everybody has the best dog in the world and then you wrap up a season and if you're really honest about it, like I, I'm super excited that pheasant season just ended because I'm looking at this little puppy I'm running and I go, man, we got a lot of stuff to work on and I can't wait for it yeah. because I know you know, like you see it, like you see it laid bare when you're out there. Like how's your recall? How's your steadiness? You know, all that stuff. The same thing happened at the end of the bow season. You go, okay, did you miss any deer? Did you hit him in the shoulder and the guts Did you know, did you fall apart? What, how did it go? And if, if, you know, if you see some kind of trend there that you're not happy with, there might be a, a gear change you can make that'll help you with that. Yeah. So,
0: I I often thought of this. So I changed. I, man, it was like 13 years. I've used the same, not the exact same, uh, rest, but I've always used a, a rip ripcord drop away rest. Okay, I've been using it for a mm-hmm. very long time, 13, 14 years. Um. I don't think I, uh, a cable, you know, a cable drop away rest. And I loved it. I loved it. You know, I, I beat the shit out of it. And then this year I, I got my, my new Bowtech and I said, man, I'm going to, I had a, a buddy talk to me about uh, limb driven and he talked to me about vapor trail and he goes into all the detail and, and talk to why he used it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. So I'm stepping away from something that I've been using and I highly recommend, I've highly recommended for a handful of years. So I I stepped away from it and Mm -hmm. I, my accuracy, I feel went up whether maybe it's because of the product itself or maybe because I was trying a little bit harder because I was excited, you know, like, you know what I mean? Um, where it's, it's not the actual product that is making the difference, but it's, my attentiveness to my setup that's probably more detailed does that make sense
1: yeah i i do think that you know vapor trail makes great products ripcord does too yeah and i've i don't i i should know this but i don't i have heard people explain why a limb driven rest is a better choice than a cable yeah i don't really you know it must just be a fraction of a second difference in you know how it's guiding that arrow or something but there is there is a reason we have both of those options and there is a reason why you see some of the people who really know their shit they're shooting limb driven rests right and
0: i think i could be 100 percent wrong here but i uh, this is me going off of what i think somebody else told me and the limb doesn't bounce back when it goes right so you know how on cables there's You ever see, you know, you've seen the slow motion oh, yeah. of the cables vibrating and going like spaghetti noodles all over the place. I think that's part of the main reason that the, the cable, when, when you're, you know, a cable driven drop away, it, there could be a tendency for it to hit bottom out and back up and just bounce around because of the cables moving. But mm-hmm. on a limb, it just wham, and then it stays down. You know what I mean? There's no, yeah. there's no bouncing around to it. So anyway... My accuracy, I feel, went up. I became more confident in shooting. I liked shooting more, so I shot more, thus, you know, reinforcing positive behavior. And I, and I don't know, I felt comfortable at longer distances and all this stuff. And to the point now where I'm just like,
1: man, I think I'm going to stick with the limb-driven rest. Mm-hmm. You know, the only, the only thing I didn't like about using limb-driven rest was when I would go spot and stalk yeah and just having a longer cord yep. there that can get caught on More stuff. stuff yep yeah yep. but otherwise yeah no I mean I think it's a good choice but that's a I mean that's a good move to make you know I mean if you're if you're shooting better because of it or you know for whatever reason when you put it on there I mean that's a win man yeah so how do I ask this next question is Gear
0: selection less in your opinion is gear selection less specs and functionality of the gear and more mental uh and on how that how that all works because you know with with us being impressionable to marketing and influence of you know a friend or uh a colleague or something like that compared to what the product actually does when we use it. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm asking actually here, but do you understand what I'm asking?
1: <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um. So
0: what I'm getting, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is does like, there's all these products out there. You, you mentioned it earlier about the bows, how bows are so similar right? There's not one that really stands up and gear you know, rests and arrows and broadheads, you know, in every little category, there's not one that really stands up above another, whether it's through functionality or design or engineering or innovation or whatever there, there, there is the cream of the crop. And then there's maybe middle and then there's lower, but for the most part, they all function at the same level. How much of how much of our decision is based off of I don't know whether it's uh, man, I'm having a brain fart here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to s- s- say, is, are, are there products that stand out so much that they're actually different than others and they perform so much better than, than others? or are we to believe or, or we sh- should we just think that, hey man, a lot of these products do the same thing?
1: Um, I think there, yes. So there, there's something to be considered with this stuff. When, when you take these categories, I, th- I think the problem that we have a lot of time. so you can say, and I, and I say this, like, okay, the top 10 bow companies, they're turning out really good offerings, right? The top five broadhead companies, same deal, rest sites, whatever, but there are little things, right? And I, and I think, what we miss a lot of times is so much of this stuff looks the same. Yeah. So you can't, you can't know until you use it. Right. Like, I'll, so <coughs> let's, let's use broadheads for an example. Yeah. Uh, take like a NAP spitfire that opens up like a jackknife kind of, Yep. you know, a, a rage will open up like the blades slide down. So if you're talking like mechanical broadheads, I look at this and I go, why? It, it doesn't make sense to me to shoot one that opens up like a jackknife when I can shoot one that doesn't. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I, I look at this stuff and I go, okay, in my head, that makes sense. How does this perform in the field? And so you know, I go out and I'll hunt with that different kind of stuff and it'll lead me to places where I go, I'm not, I am not happy with that. Or, you know, like if you take bows, for example, you can look at them and go, all right, you know, Bowtech makes badass bows. Hoyt does, Matthews does, Prime does, right on down the line. But I've set up tons of bows and shot them through a Hooter shooter, a Spot Hog Hooter shooter machine, and I can tell you, at least from my experience, which is take it or leave it, whatever. There, I don't know if you can find a more accurate bow than a Prime, and I, I, you can get really, really close with these other bows. But there's like something to be said about that, and then so you start digging in and go, okay, well, this is a bow company that was built by engineers who love to bow hunt there's something to that. Mm -hmm. Now you might go, that's top priority for me, but I don't like the draw cycle. I'd rather go with this or that, or I don't like the grip. So there's like all these little intricacies to it. And so we kind of, we know that we don't have the option to test this stuff out. We don't know who to believe. So we default to that kind of stuff where we kind of make those decisions based on emotional or, you know, based on whatever, like this worked in the past or this, my buddy uses this, but there's a lot going on in this stuff. And I, I think you know, I I think my dream like, kind of circle back around what we talked about before is just to be able to be more honest about this and not and not go like, OK, well, you, you know, you're a prime fanboy or you're a Bowtech fanboy or something. But just to like be like honest and have people out there who are talking about this going, yeah. man, I, you know, I've I've used all these and this is what I like and this is what works for me because of this reason or that reason. And I'll, well, I'll give you an example. So. I wrote a piece for uh, meat eater a while ago about single bevel and double bevel broadheads that are making a big comeback, you know, and the the idea is a single bevel broadhead cores its way through an animal and causes all this extra damage. But because of that, like physics say, okay, it's probably not going to penetrate as far. So the big debate is a double bevel is probably going to give you a better chance of having two holes. A single bevel is going to, give you the chance to have a bigger wound channel and more damage, but maybe not penetrate as far, and I I reached out to a bunch of different people and talked to them, and the opinions on that shit are wild. Yeah. And then I emailed Bill, or I, I interviewed Bill from Iron Will Broadheads, who actually makes these things and tests them in ballistic gel and other stuff, and he's like, this is exactly how it goes. Like, you're gonna get more penetration from the devil bevel, but you know, you're going to have a little bit smaller wound channel, a little bit le- less damage, or you're going to shoot the single bevel and it's going to perform great for you. And it's going to twist in through and it's going to get this. And I was like, man, like that guy, you know, he's selling both. He doesn't have a vested interest in one b- category being awesome and one not. And he's just like, here's all the testing. I'm an engineer. Here's what it shows us. And, but we kind of go to like, I don't know, like the hunting public guys or somebody. were we're like, okay, these guys know their shit and they, they shoot deer with us and like, that's the source. But I'm like, man, we could probably do really well if we had better sources for some of this information. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I you I have no idea if I answered anything you were trying to get. No, to it's, there.
0: it's that, you know, in the movie, uh, uh, what's that movie where Will Ferrell stands up and gives this crazy oh. answer <laughs> in a debate. And then he just old like, Hey, school. what happened? Yeah. Old school. What happened? I blacked out. So that could have been the last 10 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> 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 so, the last thing I want to talk about here is made in America. I don't make my decisions really base. I, I, I'll i tell you this. I want to. I want to buy American-made products, but I don't always do. Um, How big of an impact does being made in america have in the hunting industry per se i mean is it is it obviously as americans it's nice it would be great if all of our products were made in america but at the same time we know they're not does when it comes to purchasing decisions is like is being made in america a big deal to you or what have you found throughout the years
1: uh it i i you know i'm like you man i i love the idea I, I kinda have peeked behind the curtain. So I, I know a guy in the industry who was he for a while he was trying to develop a website where he would direct people to made in America hunting products. Yeah. And I you know, I so I talked to him about it and he said the problem is there aren't any. Yeah. And you know, he was being a little facetious, but The reality was he was starting to find that the the companies that even advertised that, you'd see it was assembled in America. Exactly. Or, you know, it was some kind of weasel word thing. And I'm not saying there aren't American-made products. There absolutely are. I think, you know, this is like a a parallel to this would be, okay, it would be awesome if the hunting industry, which is kind of red-blooded Americans, you know, like it would be awesome if our stuff was produced here more for sure. But the bigger issue would be like, yeah, it would be awesome if we had a way better manufacturing base for everything here instead of relying on China and some of those Asian countries. Like, it's the same thing with social media. It's like, oh, you could kill social media and save hunting. I'm like, no, we we should probably kill social media and save ourselves yeah. as a society, you, yeah. know, you know? And so, yeah, I would freaking love it if we had a, a bigger manufacturing movement here in the U.S. and brought some jobs to some places and we could we could buy some hunting gear and some other stuff that was like you you knew like yeah. it, it was made here but man it's a tough deal and our our reliance on china on that is a is a bad deal i yeah. think
0: yeah i feel you uh you know i i always like to support them especially on this hunting gear podcast and let let everybody know that hey this is an american made product but at the same time it's just like i don't know uh, I, I I want to buy American, but I I guess I don't always do it, I, and I I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe I need to take a, a a deep dive within myself.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a matter of. I I, I think it would be a full time job to try to do that. Yeah. Like you think about all the random stuff you buy, it would be, and it, maybe this is a cop out. I don't know, yeah. but it, it I do the same thing. Like when I when I write up stuff, I'm like I always want to highlight that that's a made in America thing, but. You know, like you there's probably I don't know if I don't know if you could put together a bow with all the accessories and then outfit yourself in clothing and boots and, you know, optics and whatever else. Like, I don't know if you could start from zero and make yourself a bow hunter through purchasing stuff and do it all American made. It'd be kind of an interesting experiment, actually.
0: Heck, yeah. Maybe I'll take a look into that. See if I (laughs) see if I could. Huh,
1: yeah it, I, I'd be curious because I you know maybe maybe you can I my gut tells me it'd be pretty difficult but I bet it's not impossible
0: yeah and I bet that the price would be crazy if you added it all up compared to not made in America products
1: yeah but you you would have to qualify that with quality right exactly like, I mean you could you could outfit yourself as a bow hunter with you know Chinese made products for pennies on the dollar compared to this experiment but you'd have shitty stuff <laughs> like yeah. yeah i mean or i would say that you would have a lot of stuff that would not be that great a quality and so i i don't know you'd have to there, there'd have to be some kind of leveling agent in there to take that into account i think yeah that's the truth man
0: well i think this is a good place to call our quits tony uh, this is a just a, a quick bs session here today really appreciate your your time um as far as gear is concerned, anything else we need to let the people know before before we call our quits today?
1: Um, you know, I would say the one thing that I would I would stress with hunting gear is, I don't know how to say this without getting into trouble. I so there's there certain things I I really value. Yes. So one of those things is. Not being cold or not being uncomfortable. So th- I think there's certain things you can buy that that will make you a more successful hunter. Yes, I, re- I really do. Like I think good clothing is important. Yeah, I think good boots are really important. I think uh, you know a broadhead that's not going to fall apart when it hits a rib, real important. Yeah. You know, and I I think quality arrows that are that are you know spine and weight matched and they're they're built to tight tolerances. Like I think that stuff matters. And so I always I always tell people like yeah it sucks uh you know spending up for some of this stuff but there are categories in the the hunting industry that I don't even hardly ever buy anymore cuz I don't feel like they they make a difference in my hunt like yeah. I, I, this is this is probably going to get me in trouble but like I don't know the last time I used uh like a bottle of dopey yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I'm and it, part of it's my style, right? I like to set up where deer walk and I try to shoot them. But some of these things like a, a bottle of scent eliminating spray, I don't remember the last time I bought one of those. Like Same. I, I I have some things that I, and I think about it like growing up, like I used to like rely on that stuff or that used to be a real, you know, like that, Major that was going to be in my yeah. backpack. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, whether it helped me kill anything or not. And I think you could tell by now, I'm not really relying on that stuff a whole lot because I don't feel like it's it's, it's tipping the, the odds in my favor at all. So, but I do think being comfortable gets me to sit out there longer, that's important. Yeah. I do think shooting a bow that I really, really like and is, is it works with me, I know I shoot it more, I shoot it better and all of that feeds into making better shots in the field so there are things like i think you can buy and you know like if you're sitting there and you're going i, I don't want to spend thousands of dollars on hunting gear right and look at where you can cut some of that stuff out and you know take some of that money that you might spend on a, on a product you probably don't really need and put it towards something that is actually going to enhance your experience like a tag another tag or something yeah sure yeah. yeah i mean little like the right kind of ground blind if you're taking kids out you know i mean like I, I, I put on a lot of miles every year, scouting and pheasant hunting and deer hunting and just generally I, I can wear out a pair of boots pretty fast. And so having the right footwear, if you're you know like, and if you're in the right space where you do walk a lot and you're covering a lot of ground, something like that, I would rather have really good boots and you know eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all week on my hunt than have okay boots. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's sort of a matter of just prioritizing.
0: Yeah. That's a fact. That's a fact. Well, Mr. Peterson, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for hopping on. And, uh, I don't know. Good luck with your, your bird dog. Awesome. Thanks buddy.